We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of Big Blue Banter, a brand new New York Giants podcast for all you diehard Giants fans and NFL fans who want to get a deeper look at the NFL game. We will be covering the X's and O's. We will be breaking down the game tape that you need to know to help you make informed opinions about the Giants and just to have a little bit fun with where this team is headed, where they want to be, and how they can get there. I'm your co-host, Dan Schneier. You might know me from Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. I cover the Giants for New York Giants on 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. I have been covering the team now for two and a half seasons. And before that, I covered the NFL in general for Fox Sports. Uh, I also write about fantasy football for Pro Football Focus. I will be one of your co-hosts. And my co-host is... Nick Turchin, and I will let him introduce himself right now. Hey, guys. My name is Nick Turchin. Like Dan said, uh, I've been breaking down uh, NFL tapes since really 2012, 2013 or so. I write for uh, Inside the Pylon, mostly on uh, offensive strategies, I would say, over the past few months. And now I'm focusing on the New York Giants for this upcoming season, mainly because I was, uh, I was I was studying Pat Shermer the last year or so while I was at the Vikings and the rebirth of the Vikings over there. Uh, before that, I was actually on Wall Street in the trading capacity uh, on, for, in both the hedge fund and, uh, and brokerage firms. And uh, so transitioning to this world of studying football, and, uh, and I love it, and ready to dive in here. Yeah, and let me tell you guys something. This podcast idea bred itself from me finding Nick's work on Twitter had a chance to dive into all of the work he's done, some incredible stuff on Pat Shermer's offensive scheme, on how Odell Beckham Jr. might fit, on how some of the new Giants players like Kyle Aletta might fit. Nick does some excellent work. He is going to really make a difference on this podcast. I'm really excited to be working with him on here. 
I've tried to do podcasts in the past. You guys have heard me on a bunch of different podcasts and not to knock any of them or anything like that, but I think it will be a little bit different. Things will be at a little bit higher of a level with someone like Nick on here to help break down the game tape while I kind of do my own thing that you guys have become accustomed to if you follow me on Twitter. And guess what? I'm going to try my hand during the season a little bit of game tape as well with NFL Rewind. But today we will touch on everything Nick has worked on for the Giants this offseason so far. And we will do a little bit of a introduction show that kind of touches on things that we might not touch on during the actual season when we get into the nitty-gritty of this podcast. But without further ado, I wanted to first touch on the rookie minicamp, and I wanted to break down how the draft picks look. I will start us off, and I'm going to throw it over to Nick in a few minutes. For me, I thought the rookie draft picks uh, impressed me for the most part during the rookie minicamp. Again, it was only two days' worth of practices, but I really had my eye on some of the offensive linemen as the Giants try to transition in several undrafted free agent, rookie free agents and Evan Brown, the center out of Ole Miss, who had an elite pass blocking grade from pro football focus, might be a bit undersized, but somebody to keep an eye on. On Nick Gates, the offensive tackle out of Nebraska, who the Giants look to be trying out on the inside at offensive guard, at least during rookie minicamp. This guy could be the next Andrew Norwell fine for Dave Gettleman. That would be the best case scenario. <laughs> It's not too likely, but at the same time, he does profile a lot like Norwell when he entered the league as a tactician with questionable athleticism, size, and length. But at the same time, a really decorated offensive tackle in the Big Ten Conference. And then lastly, an intriguing guy, Tyler Howell, a six foot eight, 328-pound prospect who lined up as the first team right tackle during minicamp, rookie minicamp we're talking about. And this guy has the size, the athletic tools started – a handful of games, double-digit games at Missouri last season, but he's definitely raw. Um, but as for the actual draft picks that we're going to dive into, the two draft picks who impressed me the most were Lorenzo Carter, the third-round rookie draft pick out of Georgia, a guy who finished with the fifth-best pass rush productivity number uh, from Pro Football Focus last season. In other words, as far as pressures uh, go, hurries, hits, and sacks combined. He got the fifth most on a per-pass rush basis. Georgia didn't really use him in this capacity, in my opinion, uh, from watching his game tape, but we will touch on that more later. Saquon Barkley obviously was a star at minicamp, looked smooth in pass-catching drills, but the guy I want to focus on right now, and we will throw it to Nick, is Kyle Aletta, the rookie quarterback, who did struggle a bit during the minicamp. Uh, that's okay. The winds were really swirling in East Rutherford those two days. I'm not going to knock him for struggling with a group of wide receivers he's pretty frankly never played with in his life and has zero chemistry with uh, during a minicamp where he's picking up an offense that he basically got two days before hitting the practice field. But Nick, I want to know what you saw and what you think of Kyle Aletta based on the game tape work you did on him. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, hey, uh, Loletta had, what, four offensive coordinators in four years? And so, you know, at, at Richmond, so you saw a guy who really had learned many different systems and his football IQ is very high. The other side of that, that equation, a lot of guys talk about, hey, like, you know, that doesn't really mean he's great in one of those systems. And so you really had to pull back the tape. And I went back to 2015, actually. A lot of his games there, just you have to go back and understand the structure of that offense at that time was uh, under a guy named Charlie Fisher, who worked with uh, Bill O'Brien at Penn State. He was the QB coach there. And so the offense that they ran had a lot of pro concepts. And more importantly, to kind of bring this into the current Giants, what the current Giants will run next uh, this year, I should say, is they had a lot of play action from under center. And the biggest thing that stuck out for me was play action from under center is a learned trait. 
It's not something that you do to fake out the defense every so often to then create a, a passing lane over the top. It's something that when done consistently, it constantly keeps the defense off balance and constantly delays them from making and reading their keys and getting downhill. So anyway, watching the tape from there, I picked up a game, North Dakota State. Loletta had, despite a losing or a losing effort there, Loletta had really uh, many good completions down the field, showed excellent rhythm, uh, great footwork, and an ability when he turned his head looking down the field to reset his eyes and quickly evaluate either half the field or in some cases I was looking and seeing probably even the full field from there. And anyway, so the issues that many people are talking about in terms of arm strength um, and, and yada yada, I would say, his arm talent really showed the ability to make different types of throws, throws to different levels of the secondary, throws that were into tight windows, throws that is, to be frank, you know, his wide receivers did not make the play uh, because they were there. It was that tight when they he needed a good, a good catch of a contested ball. Um, so for me, it was it was it was kind of a match made in heaven. I thought, uh, from a certain perspective, from uh, from Pat Shermer's office, where you know last year they ran play action, I believe, twenty six percent of the time, which is second most in the league, gaining eight point seven yards per play, which was sixth in the league. And those numbers, I, Pat Shermer will look to repeat this year. And so whether or not he's the backup, he's the starter. He's not going to be the starter. We understand that. But Kyle Aletta Im- immediately had a leg up going into as 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 all the offseason workouts start because he, he came from that background back in 2015. Yeah, and I absolutely love it, Nick. And I love that you brought up the fact that Kyle Aletta has arm talent and not arm strength. And this offseason, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago. Uh, it was actually one day prior to the 2018 NFL draft to speak with Trent Dilfer. He broke down with me a lot of things when it came to Davis Webb and the New York Giants, and we'll touch on that in future podcasts, Eli Manning and his future with the Giants and the quarterback draft class in 2018. And he's a guy who told me, listen, arm talent and arm strength are two different things, and arm strength is not nearly as important as arm talent. He basically broke down arm talent as the ability to play on schedule and attack all three layers of the field and to do so by changing the speed on the ball, the arc on the ball, and using anticipatory accuracy. That's the combination to arrival, the release time, the ability to change trajectory and speeds. These are all NFL terms that went a little above my head, but they're all something that kind of struck a chord with me when I was watching game tape of Kyle Oletta as well. I had a chance to watch some of his games, William and Mary, Villanova. Uh, obviously, his performance in the Senior Bowl was very impressive to me. I thought that was the best game by far, and it was against the highest level of competition. Now, I have this question for you, Nick. We've heard a lot of comparisons so far for uh, for Kyle Oletta as far as people see a lot of Case Keenum in him. They think maybe Shermer sees a little Case Keenum in who would you compare his game to from an NFL standpoint? Or do you have a comparison? Yeah, I think the direct compare is a little tough. Um, I think elements of Case Keenum, are, you know, he certainly has elements of Case Keenum's game there. I think one of them would be the ability to make plays with his feet in a smart way. Uh, you know, when flushed out of the pocket on different bootlegs, he can get, he can he can take off and get down the field. And it's one of those he's one of those players where he's not gonna he's not gonna depend on that by any stretch of the imagination. But certainly an athlete in that respect. Um, you know, offhand, I think it's I think I think guys want to make the instant comparison. And I think it's actually just coming from the scouting academy where I'm in day three of uh, of my uh, of my lessons there. It's hard to paint a specific player with a, with a specific rush. So I'm actually going to stay away from that from now until I see a little bit more NFL tape, uh, to be fair, at this point. 
no doubt. And I totally understand that. I do love the point, the fact that you brought up his ability to operate out of play action offense, obviously learning from the old Bill O'Brien principles. And if you look at it, Pat Shermer's last three offenses he's coordinated have all finished in the top three in play action pass percentage. So that will definitely be a big uh, feature in the offense coming up. And I'm sure we can touch on that a little bit more. We plan to do a little preview of that the end of the show. But before we get there, Nick, I wanted to know if you had any other opinions on the rest of this rookie draft class, the other five draft picks, uh, after watching them on tape. Yeah, you know, hey, I, I broke I broke these guys down in the wake of the draft, and I think that's almost a better way to go, uh, you know, so then you can kind of think about the applicable fits within the schemes that they're going to be a part of versus doing it before they're drafted and kind of throwing, you know, darts at a board in a little bit, uh, a little from a little from that perspective. So first guy I really was was very impressed with on film was uh, was the new the new left guard uh, Hernandez. Uh, you know, this is an angry man <laughs> who is, interestingly enough, I didn't realize this, but if we can just jump for a second, Saquon, Saquon Barkley last year, uh, when his when Penn State ran power, his yards per carry were 3.5. This is versus 1.6 yards per carry when running zone. So I'm not saying that the Giants are going to run all power, but this is power's more of Barkley's, he's seen better success in, at, at the college level. Well, when you pull up the game tape of Hernandez, when he's pulling while he's while the team's running power and he's the pulling guard, this is a massive man who gets down the field with very light feet, good level hips, and very fluid movement for a man of his size. And you know there were some concerns that getting to the second level, maybe you know, his size is almost a problem. I really saw nothing but you know honestly good tape and an ability for a guy to who finished every one of his blocks in the Oklahoma game. I know many people said, hey, that's his best game of the year, so it's, you, know, you can't just judge him there alone. But in, the, in a big, big stage, he was able to finish every one of his blocks with a lot of violence, a lot of anger. He's just looking to hurt, to, to hit and to, and to hit people pretty hard. And for me, that's a, that's a big standout for a line that needs a little bit of an attitude adjustment. You know, no offense, but a little bit of an attitude adjustment from the past couple of years. And, and I think that's what both Gettleman and Shermer want to do. Uh, now, we do know that Shermer ran mostly zone or predominantly zone last year, a lot of inside zone. But I see uh, for Hernandez, when he's running inside zone, this guy can, uh, you know, really, he's a great combo blocker, really good, good technicals there, good hand placement, not necessarily violent hands. And sometimes his elbows get a little outside of his body, but overall, uh, you know, real, real good prospect. Yeah. And you know what? You bring up a couple things that really intrigue me. The first is that. Uh, the use, what you talk about the scheme fit, and that's something I broke down earlier this offseason when I actually said Isaiah Wynn might be the best fit, just pure fit for the Giants on the offensive line out of the draft class for the reason you said, um, and you brought it up, Shermer used a lot of inside, but also outside zone, at least according to Pro Football Focus last season with the Vikings. And then you bring in a guy like Hernandez, who's probably best fit in a power gap so, uh, blocking scheme. You correct me if I'm wrong there, but you yeah. kind of just said that. And then Barkley, who you really kind of pointed out as well, is a better fit for that. So we might end up, what we might end up seeing actually is Shermer kind of tailoring his offensive scheme to the talent around him. Again, that's what good coaches do, just because Giants fans have unfortunately gotten used to two straight years of a head coach who doesn't do that and instead, you know, <laughs> operated under the opposite mindset of, you know, making sure that his players fit the scheme. Shermer kind of has earned a reputation for the opposite. So that's something we could see that really interests me. And you brought up great points there. And then the other thing you said, which intrigued me was just the idea of this offensive line transitioning really from a finesse offensive line with guys like Justin Pugh, Weston Richburg, uh, and, you know, John 
Gary over to, you know, now power guys coming in like Will Hernandez. And Nate Solder really doesn't fit that bill as much, but maybe Patrick Omeme, a guy who, you know, Dave Gettleman said, listen, he got there, had a month on the job or fewer, maybe two, three weeks on the job, had to look at the impending free agent class and find a mid-range price guy who he believes has better game tape than you know, maybe the rest of the NFL sees or maybe the rest of the NFL is on to. And that's kind of always been his calling card as a talent evaluator. So I do have high expectations for Omeme on this line as he transitions likely over to right guard now that Will Hernandez kind of, I don't want to say settled in at left guard. He played there exclusively during the rookie minicamp. And Pat Shermer did say he will learn both positions, but I find it highly unlikely they're going to take him out of his natural position there at left guard after how dominant he was there at UTEP. Transitioning a little bit, do you have any other comments on some of the other rookie draft picks? Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> I didn't want to. I don't want to sound like a perma bull here, but watching the tape, I saw a lot of good things from a lot of good guys. The fifth rounder, McIntosh, out of University of Miami, interesting, interesting three tech defensive tackle from the sense that he's pretty raw. I'd say that he's. I don't want to say inconsistent, but he's he's very very quick. Has a smaller base. He's a little undersized for that position, but man, did he have a lot of raw power, a lot of kind of innate football skills, a great closure on both quarterbacks and runners. Very, very good motor. Despite losing sight of the ball, he had a lot of talent in terms of pass rushing ability, in terms of spin moves. Uh, Well, let me actually back up. His spin move and one other move is kind of his go-to moves. He needs to improve that arsenal somewhat. But man, for a fifth rounder, I was kind of surprised to see the tape kind of, he, he, he jumps out on tape. He flashes on film, as guys like to say. So for me, I don't see him as an every down uh, defensive tackle in this league yet. But right off, right away, when you think about what Betcher wants to do on third down, he's a great third down sub package guy uh, uh, that can really pay, really play defensive tackle. He could eat, they may move him around a little bit. You know, with that third down sub package, Betcher and those guys love to put different people in different places. He is one of those guys. He gives you that versatility. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stunting that was going on in that University of Miami uh, offense. So he's, he, he moves around very, very well, all, type, all different types of loops and stunts that they executed there. And, you know, to me, that stands out a lot. And that's someone who, as a fifth rounder, has a fair amount of upside that can fit in your, off, in your defense day one. Again, I don't think there's many of those type of fifth rounders around. I think that's a great pick. Yeah, and I love that you mentioned McIntosh because he's probably my pick as the second best value pick. And again, the best player in this draft, just as far as a value standpoint goes. And it's not just the pass rush ability and the pass rush upside that intrigues me. This is a guy who was very productive against the run pro football. According to pro football focus, he had the fifth most run stops of any interior defensive player in the entire draft class. And that's obviously a statistic that Damon Harrison has become the king of he's led the lead (laughs) in defensive run stops. And that's just basically their statistic to show when a defensive player uh, makes a play that, uh, that ends up resulting in the offensive play uh, being a negative or zero yardage gain. And as far as McIntosh goes, which really intrigues me and you touched on this yourself is that I believe he could also impact the game from a, from either of the three technique or five technique defensive end positions in James Betcher's scheme. The Giants listed him as a defensive end at their rookie minicamp. Dave Gellman talked about how he really likes his upside as a pass rusher like you just broke down so well. And this is a guy who really could be an excellent fit for this scheme. As Dalvin Tomlinson talked about a few weeks ago uh, on Giants.com to uh, to Michael Eisen, one of their insiders, this defensive scheme is completely different from the one they played in 
as far uh, under Steve Spagnuolo, as far as the defensive linemen go, they are going to attack upfield and attack the gaps of this defense. And somebody like McIntosh coming in, like you said, as a sub uh, a sub package pass rusher is definitely intriguing, but I would not totally count him out to win that five-technique job from the very start. Remember, Josh Morrow, the guy they signed from the Cardinals to start at that position, is suspended for the first four games, and maybe Kerry Wynn comes in and gets the you know starting job there if uh, and whatnot, and maybe you know McIntosh does need to grow into his body. There's no doubt about it. He dealt with a thyroid condition that really caused him to lose like 15 to 20 pounds prior to the combine. And he did not compete in rookie minicamp. And many believe it has to do with that condition that may, you know, maybe has not fully healed yet. So that's something to keep an eye on. But I definitely have high expectations for McIntosh. Do you want to jump into any more of these rookies before we move on? Yeah, you know, I just real quick, I think uh, you got to give the shout out to, uh, to B.J. Hill of NC State coming from that defensive line. Uh, one of the best defensive lines in the nation. And he's a great example, a great juxtaposition of another type of three-tech defensive tackle that's very opposite that of, uh, of McIntosh in terms of build. You're talking about a guy who's 6'4", 315, a guy who was 6'4", 300 pounds, I believe his junior year, and his coach challenged him, and he put on those extra 15 pounds. Uh, you know, this is a guy who is not incredibly quick, but play, plays with incredibly strong base, loses a minimal ground, good pad level when driving against guards or tackles, takes on double teams very strong, keeps engagements with guards for over three seconds with no problem, has good use of hands, puts gets hands to the second uh, to the upper half of the body very, very well. Again, a, not, a guy who's not going to he's not going to flash on film like like many people want to see when they evaluate. Uh, talent, but for me, this is a guy who a first and second down guy who can do many different things and played with four other really good players for a long period of time at NC State. That's what you want to. That's what you need. And for me, his old defensive line coach Nielsen, who's now part of the Saints defensive line, he's the defensive line coach for the Saints, spoke really highly of him. This is a guy who gets after it, who wakes up every morning, kind of on his own without an alarm. This is a guy who wants to be there. For me, he fit the giant mold that they're trying to create now from a character perspective. And then you look at the tape and you go, wow, like this is someone who I want to see on first and second down more. And again, I understand this is going to happen early in the season, but it's someone to watch in camp because of those traits that fit so well here. Yeah, and as you guys can probably tell from just listening to these breakdowns from Nick, you can understand why I was so excited for the opportunity to do a podcast with Nick. And just to give my own thoughts on the Hill selection, what the Giants can expect, I did read that same article with the same quotes. As oh, yeah, great. It was unbelievable. It was football porn, uh, especially for Giants <laughs> fans. And basically, he was the first one at practice every day, the last one out, never missed a meeting, never missed a dinner. This is a guy who Bradley Chubb, his teammate who was obviously the number five overall pick to the Denver Broncos said was described as an old soul the leader of that defense for sure and a guy who really quite frankly wasn't asked to rush the passer much Dave Gettleman right. broke this down in his post-draft press conference he said he's kind of in that frog stance as Gettleman calls it and Gettleman has all sorts of old football lingo that he likes to drop uh, <laughs> on his on his constituents when he's not using uh, old Yiddish which is also an interesting Dave Gettleman uh, wrinkle. But anyway, we're talking about a guy who was in the frog stance, according to Gettleman. So he wasn't actually asked to rush the passer that much, but he's a guy who they think can rush the passer. And it will be very interesting to see where he fits into this defense. He also was listed as a defensive end on the rookie minicamp chart. Could he be competing for that three technique position with Dalvin Thompson? I doubt it. Thompson was really, really good in his rookie season. More than likely, we will see Hill spell Thompson at the three tech. 
spell Damon Harrison at the nose, maybe play that five tech, depending on the down and distance. This is a guy who can really work into the rotation. And as Dave Gettleman said, listen, we looked at what Philadelphia did last season in building that Super Bowl roster, and we saw they used a heavy rotation on the defensive line. That's how the NFL game is changing. This is where Gettleman is really stepping up, in my opinion, as a general manager, something that Jerry Reese never did, and that was building depth in the trenches. I broke this down in depth earlier this offseason, and I really believe it's been a key theme for him. Um, and obviously, Nick touched on the leadership aspect of this pick and kind of building that culture. Awesome. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, so just to touch on really quick what we should expect as the rookies and veterans get together for the first time this Monday, May 21st, that rookie uh, rookie and veterans set of OTAs will last the 21st, the 22nd, take a day off on Wednesday, then reconvene for the 24th. Um, we're talking about things that I'm looking forward to seeing is how will the Giants players receive uh, Eric Flowers? Will he return right away to the first team right tackle position? Or will Chad Wheeler still get the reps as the first team right tackle? That's something I'm keeping an eye on. How long will it take Lorenzo Carter to jump Kareem Martin as the starting left outside linebacker? Uh, we didn't touch as much on Carter in that breakdown with Nick, but Carter's a guy who I am most excited about on this team from a value standpoint. I had him uh, as a top 30 player. Uh, my evaluation in this entire draft class, I'm not completely alone on that. Josh Norris had him number 25th. Josh Norris of Water World, a guy who wrote a world, I should say, a guy whose work I really respect and like to read. Uh, this is a guy who isn't totally there yet as a football player, but he really is as Aaron Davis, the undrafted rookie free agent cornerback out of Georgia, his former teammate, now a Giants cornerback, a guy who I'm also excited for, by the way, out of the undrafted guys said is the LeBron, he compared him to LeBron James. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's six foot five, six foot six, I believe, 250, ran a four five zero official time, four four six unofficial, jumped out the gym with the vertical and broad jumps, has length, can react to underneath passes, was used in coverage a lot. This guy reminds me a lot of how uh, Leonard Floyd looked during his uh, game tape at Georgia, and he was played in a similar scheme. And like I touched on earlier, this guy wasn't used often enough as a pass rusher, but you watch his get up, get off the line of scrimmage at the rookie minicamp, and you see something special from number 59, uh, maybe the fastest linebacker I've seen wear a Giants uniform in a long, long time. Um, so I'll be looking for that. And then will that mean, if he does jump Kareem Martin, will that mean uh, Kareem Martin, the guy who, you know, the light turned on for during the 2017 season with the Cardinals as he transitioned from the five-tech position in James Betcher's scheme to the outside line position, will that kick him back inside the five-tech? Again, they need someone to fill in for Josh Morrow. Do you have anything else to add that you're looking forward to during this next set of OTAs? Uh, no, I think I think you hit on a, a, lot, a lot of good things. I think the Kareem Martin points are great. I think that's a guy who was very underrated in Betcher's, Betcher's scheme, specifically against the run. Awesome backside pursuit, real good motor, the ability to get downhill, the ability to have great play recognition, which is another big part that guys don't talk about for the front seven. And just to kind of compare, he's a, he is a pretty strong compare contrast to uh, to Carter, who's, like you said, his closing speed is is greater, I would say, and more of a speed burst pass rusher type. Um, but interestingly, I think you need both guys. I think it's one of those things that for, for Betcher's front seven, you need all different types of talent and then these, both these guys have them. So I don't know if it would necessarily be a one or the other for this, for, for the position. I think it's more based upon scheme fit that they'll be playing against, uh, against, you know, different offenses for, within the season. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, they don't, ha it doesn't have to be one or other, right? It could right, just be yeah. based on, down distance the scheme fits you talk about based on the offensive lines 
they're matched up against. And I do really like the point you made about Kareem Martin's ability to set the edge at six foot six, two hundred eighty pounds. Very, very unique outside linebacker if he is you or for when he is used. Like you said, he will be uh, at the position. We're going to do a quick, quick, quick rundown of both of the depth charts because then I want to dive into a more in-depth preview of Pat Shermer's offense with Nick. So I will touch on both the offense and defensive depth chart really quickly, and then I'll get Nick's thoughts on both. At quarterback, you've got Eli Manning, Davis Webb, and Kyle Oletta competing for that number two spot. At running back, Saquon Barkley, I don't see too long before they you know, make him the number one running back there. Obviously, he has to pick up the playbook. Jonathan Stewart and Wayne Gallman, kind of a 2A, 2B behind him. They split First team reps at the mini camp before the Giants drafted Jalen, uh, before the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley, Jalen Simmons, and Robert Martin behind them. Keep an eye a little bit on Martin, the the kid out of Rutgers, undrafted rookie free agent who definitely impressed me uh, during the mini camp, the rookie mini camp, and has a lot of all time records there, or is in the close to the all time records there at Rutgers. Um, Shane Smith still on the roster as a fullback. The Giants will use a fullback in this offense, and you know Nick's going to touch on that more soon, but. Don't be keep an eye on Rhett Ellison and Kyle Carter, the tight ends, because, you know, if if McAdoo, I'm sorry, McAdoo, geez, if, uh, <laughs> I was just looking at my notes about how McAdoo somehow managed to use Rhett Ellison on fewer than 45 percent of the snaps, despite the fact that he's one of the 10 best blocking tight ends in the NFL last season. Which is unbelievable. <laughs> right. But, you know, if Shermer sees Ellison and Carter with the ability to, you know, fill in at that fullback position on certain, you know, a handful of snaps per game, they might, you know, find Shane Smith expendable at tight end. Obviously you have Evan Ingram, Rhett Ellison, Gerald Adams is a guy I really like. He's a guy who came on strong in training camp. Another guy who was really rarely used as Ben McAdoo tried to pump up that 90% 11 personnel style that, you know, that we saw so famously with, with Mike McCarthy in green Bay and something I, think is uh, absolutely a broken way to run an offense, but more on that another time. And then Kyle Carter and Ryan O'Malley behind him, wide receiver behind Odo Beckham and Sterling Shepard. Cody Lattimore currently running with the first team offense in Beckham's absence. Roger Lewis right there behind him, also running with the first team. Travis Rudolph, a slot guy, then a bunch of names that, uh, you know, were on the team last year or joining the team this year as undrafted rookie free agents like Jawill Davis, the kid who ran a 4-3-7 and certainly impressed coaches during the rookie minicamp, real quickly to Nate to left tackle, Nate Solder, obviously there. Guys like Nick Becton behind him. I touched on Nick Gates earlier. Left guard, Will Hernandez. Guy they just signed, Chris Scott, actually has multiple career starts with the Carolina Panthers. Even started Super Bowl 50, which I found interesting. He was on the free agent heap. He's a guy who Dave Gettleman obviously had a close look at during his time as Panthers general manager, Brett Jones at the center spot with John Greco right behind him. Evan Brown, I touched on earlier, the mm-hmm. rookie at a SMU. Right guard, Patrick O'Mahony, I think he will shift, shift over there. But the really interesting thing about the right guard position is what will the Giants do with John Jerry? They're paying him an awful lot, and there's a lot of dead salary cap money still tied to his contract since Jerry Reese made the awful decision to re-sign him last offseason. But here's a guy who practiced behind John Jalapio during the team's minicamp as the second team right guard. Um, And that was before they drafted Will Hernandez. I do not think there's a spot on this roster for him. I do not think he's one of the eight best offensive linemen. He's a finesse guy, above average pass protector. But honestly, in my opinion, and I'd love to get your take on this at some point, maybe even on this podcast, but certainly on a future one. The worst run blocking guard I've ever watched. (laughs) Simple worst. Um, And then at right tackle, rounding things out, Chad Wheeler, Eric Flowers will compete. But obviously, like I said earlier, keep an eye on Tyler Howell, uh, a guy who, you know, big, big guy, six foot eight, 328 pounds. Then real quick to run through 
this uh, real quick running through this defensive roster here. Um, we are looking at at the right def- at the three attack right defensive end position. Cal- Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, Josh Banks, uh, Damon Harrison, B.J. Hill, and Tyrell Chavis, the undrafted rookie at at Penn State with a great backstory. At the nose, left defensive end Josh Morrow suspended for the first four games. Like I mentioned, maybe R.J. McIntosh, the rookie who mm-hmm. Nick loves, maybe Robert <laughs> Thomas, maybe Kerry Wynn. We don't know. Right outside linebacker, Olivier Vernon will hold that down. But what's interesting is Avery Moss and Romeo Aquara, two guys who were rookies in 2016 and then 2017 with Moss as the 2017 fifth-round pick, have converted to outside linebacker. They confirmed this to Giants.com earlier this offseason. They played defensive end last season in the 4-3. On the inside, we've got Ogletree and B.J. Goodson. Not much depth there at all behind them. So they're definitely going to have to stay healthy there, the Giants. That's for sure. The other outside linebacker position, like we talked about earlier, Kareem Martin, Lorenzo Carter, maybe Ray Ray Armstrong, a guy who kind of projects a little. They signed him off waivers from the 49ers in the middle of last season or towards the end of it. Kind of reminds me a little bit of how the, if they, you know, Betcher might try to use him like he used Dion Buchanan, Buchanan in Arizona. We'll find out. The boundary cornerbacks are Janoris Jenkins, Eli Apple, and again, not much depth behind those two. The slot, there should be a better competition with veteran William Gay. Dante Dayon coming back, Grant Haley, the undrafted rookie out of Penn State, Aaron Davis, the undrafted rookie I talked about out of Georgia, who I like a lot. The deep safety position is going to be interesting this season because there's a lot of stress on that high safety as James Vetcher uses a ton of single high safety looks. Darian Thompson looked really good his rookie season before getting injured. Last season, not the same. Andrew Adams behind him has always been good in coverage, struggles in the run game, and is a bad tackler to say the least. Orion Stewart, a guy they just signed, who was an undrafted rookie last year, actually, bounced around a couple of rosters last season. The Giants got him. He was a ball hawk at Baylor, uh, had some off-field injuries, issues, looked good in the rookie minicamp, which he was allowed to compete in. That'll be interesting. At, at strong safety, we've got Landon Collins, Michael Thomas, Sean Ch- Chandler, a guy who really impressed me again, a guy who they handed one of the biggest rookie signing bonuses to, to all the undrafted rookie free agents at a temple had the second best tackling efficiency in all of college football at the safety position, according to pro football focus. And that was an area the giants really, really struggled in uh, attack missed tackles in the secondary. So now that we have ran down both depth charts as quick as possible, because we do want to get to your preview of Shermer's offense. Is there anything about either de- the offensive or defensive depth chart that, interest you right now nick you know i think on the offensive side i think it's what everyone's kind of reporting and focusing on the right tackle position this is this is going to be a big big deal uh, in camp and look it's not to say that you, you can't turn around turn around an offense and a defense in one season uh so gettleman's taking his not taking his time he's, he's doing what he can when he can and and where they are in terms of the cap and and just the limits that they have but on the play side or the front side for eli manning i think that's huge uh, last year on film, in the wake of Beckham being injured, he he had issues with play side pressure. And for me, when I say issues, meaning he he was he, he kept on locking on his first read and couldn't come off. He would then be a beat late going through the rest of his progression. His footwork looked poor. Uh, he didn't really climb the pocket as well as he did when when Beckham was in the lineup. You know, again. Who wouldn't, right? Beckham's one of the best best players in the game, forget receivers in the game. I think that front side is really important to help him kind of regain his footing a little bit in a new offense. Uh, flipping over to the defensive side real quick, look, I, when you watch Betcher's defense, one of the more interesting things, I think, is the, the depth that he had in the secondary in Arizona, he certainly does not have here. 
I will say, though, I think that the talent that he has at the starting positions is, is – He's not that far off. Other than deep safety, I think he's I think he's good. But his ability to mix and match within dime and, and nickel looks, he just does not have that depth here now. And again, like I said, that's you're talking about kind of a a couple year turnaround. I think is a way to say it with get with new reins at the new new uh, new guys at the at the reins here. Uh, so it's going to take some time. And for now, I think those are the the the, the two main spots of, of worry, if you will. Definitely very interesting and. Especially, I found that uh, announcement on the offense especially interesting. And as we, uh, on that note, let's transition to what you kind of saw from Pat Shermer's offensive scheme after doing your study of it uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. Obviously, he was the offensive coordinator last season and any other pass offenses coordinator that might have worked into your analysis. And then kind of what you think we'll see going forward from the Giants offense this season, given the players they have uh, on this roster and how you think Shermer might fit his scheme to curtail uh, cur- to curtail it to the talent around him. Absolutely. You know, I think I mentioned it to start off, but the play action is the biggest, most stark contrast that you'll see between McAdoo and Shermer. I mentioned the stats, but, and what you'll also see when you really study the play action is, and this is not to knock Eli Manning, but the effort to sell the play action is going to be much more detail oriented. Starting, like I said, with the quarterback position, Eli will go into basically all four different types of play action fakes that you can with ultimate detail last year on film with McAdoo, it looked like he was kind of shrugging at the running back as he would run by. It just wasn't a focus in that offense. Uh, so that's, that's the, the initial part. So what does it mean when play action kind of works itself out? Play action can then open up <clears throat> different under routes as, as, as second level defenders kind of are frozen a little bit as they read their keys. Again, all of the front seven has to read their keys no matter if it's a run or a pass. So they, they will always be kind of stalled by play action. Uh, and then from there, you can, you'll see all different types of route combinations uh, at, for, for wide receivers going down the field. You're going to see Odell Beckham run Y cross. You're going to, or not Y cross, sorry, Yankee concepts. You're going to see him running sale concepts. You're going to see him running all different types of crossing routes that get him in space with him getting a little bit of a jump even against man uh, with the play action. Shermer throughout his history has shown a flexibility to use his players that he has. He's not a scheme driven guy. He's not a quarterback guru. Like people like to say, I kind of laugh at that just because I think he's adjusted to each stop he's had in the last seven years or six years, I guess to each quarterback there and, and, and help, you know, um, push their push their strengths and, and minimize their weaknesses. But the other side that not many people are really kind of mentioning, um, kind of jump back to the passing side a little bit here, is this screen game. Um, the screen game last year for the Vikings was very diverse. A lot of double screens, a lot of delay screens, a lot of, you know, play action fake, fake the reverse, and then run the screen to the, to the original play action running back. Uh, so that type of thing is going to tap right into Saquon Barkley. The whole goal, I guess, as I kind of come at this from the wrong way or come at it backwards, mm-hmm. is to get players in space, to be able to 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 get them to to then look for yards after contact or however you want to phrase that. But the goal is when you have guys like Saquon Barkley, when you have guys like Odell Beckham, how can we create space for them in a way that allows them to push their talents after that fact? And that's what he's going to focus on. And, you know, again, is he going to do exactly what he did in Minnesota? Absolutely not. But I think you're going to see very, I called it at, uh, at inside the pylon on my piece there. It was, it was simple complexity. It's, 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 it's using very straightforward kind of principles and putting them and, and allowing your players to then react within that, within that uh, as best they can. 
And there is a lot I would like to dive into there. But let's <laughs> start by just just giving a little breakdown for the listeners on what the Yankee and sale route concepts are, just because, you know, everyone can know what, you know, a curl is, what a slant is, what, you know, crossing routes are. But let's break down some of the nuances of, of some of the routes you just discussed that will be part of this Pat Shermer offense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's a great point to start off with. I'm I'm talking about route combinations and number one, not explaining them, but also they're they're maybe a little foreign to giant fans because McAdoo ran so few of them. <laughs> and again, I hate to just knock on the guy and have him be like, No, this is but... gonna be a podcast where we will be. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I will at least be knocking Ben McAdoo. I will be knocking Jerry Reese. I don't <laughs> care. I don't feel bad about it. Uh, and that's just how it's going to go. So you don't have to partake in that, but definitely don't apologize for it. <laughs> Roger that. So listen, ISO routes are ones where um, you're asking your your wide receiver or receivers, period, to beat players one-on-one most oftentimes or to beat a zone from what the, what the specific player is doing on the single route. Route combinations do basically the opposite. To either man or zone, depending on the scheme, they attack different parts of it. Um, by either setting picks or finding diff- or putting different zone players in conflict. So I mentioned the Yankee concept. The Yankee concept is one where basically, and many people have seen it, the uh, you have a ZY receiver or a receiver just off the line of scrimmage going downfield and running as some sort of a crossing route, whether it be a dig, a drag, you know, something to get across, and the other wide receiver on the other side of the field running some level of a go route. Maybe it's a deep post. Maybe it's an actual um, an actual fade and looking to put either a cover three defender or a man defender in, in conflict with the crossing route. Again, in man is very difficult to cover. And then in, in, uh, in cover three, that third, that, um, that, that deep defender, that deep corner in, in conflict as both players go through the zone. So what you saw last year is, 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 uh, is routes like that ran and also routes like the, Sale concept, which is very, very similar, very, very similar ideas, but it just uses um, it uses two players. It uses two players running crossing routes on from both a high and a low read on the on the same side of the field. There, so again, these route combinations they do a couple of things. Pre snap, it allows the most of the time the read can be defined pre snap for where the quarterback should go. That's a big deal for a quarterback. That's a big deal for a young quarterback trying to gain poise and understand the game speed of the NFL. And it's a big deal for an aging quarterback like Eli Manning, who, to be like like we said before, quite frankly, didn't look that comfortable in the pocket. So these predefined looks, as they did for Case Keenum in Minnesota, will allow whoever the quarterback is, and again, I'm totally saying it's going to be Eli Manning, but whoever the quarterback is, to do what he does best in kind of the, the the cleanest, most clear way possible, if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. And I must say that the those route concepts, especially the first one you, you broke down, have to be music to Giants fans' ears <laughs> after watching an offensive scheme in 2017 that failed to really ever even attempt to utilize Evan Ingram tight ends. Tight end Evan Ingram's 4-4-1 vertical sp- uh, speed down the seam. You got guys like uh, Odell Beckham Jr. also ran a 4-4-1, or he would tell you it was less than that bird. He's disputing, apparently, his combine 40 time, at least uh, on his Twitter he was early, a little bit earlier this offseason. And also Sterling Shepard ran in the 4-4s. Uh, this is the type of thing that was just really missing from that McAdoo offense, the vertical passing game, for whatever reason. And, you know, it's not always about having the time in the pocket, which I think you did a good job breaking it down. Sometimes it's about you know, having predefined reads and having route concept combinations that free up some of this uh, 
some of some of the areas of the field that you know might not typically be used. And speaking of Evan Ingram, I wanted to get your take on this. Earlier offseason, he talked about how the addition of Saquon Barkley and an actual running game will actually be most beneficial maybe to him because it's going to open up areas of the field in the middle that you know weren't quite frankly open during the 2017 season. Is there any validity behind that? Do you think that can be true? Uh, you know, absolutely. I think that his his ability, he's a very elusive route runner. Uh, he's a guy who needs a free release, meaning he doesn't, I don't think he does so well when he's split out wide as a as an ex-wide receiver where he's got a press corner on him. Uh, his ability within route combinations will be huge. His ability or his ability will, will, will then be kind of amplified with a good running game. The interesting thing, though, where I think he's going to do the best, and, and I'm actually someone who thinks that although he had a very productive year last year, he stands to have the biggest impact boost if you will this year with um with Shermer is is running a co- a route combination called the smash concept uh to one side of the field where he is actually the down tight end in a three tight end stance uh and the wide receiver to his side runs a quick stop route and he runs the kind of seam fade or the you know uh, or the slot fade if he's spread out as a as a as a as a stand-up Y um he runs very good deep routes and his elusive speed, whether it be a, on a strong safety or, you know, a, a linebacker's going to have no chance to be fair uh, in covering him. It really brings an interesting dynamic to one side of the field where you have all the attention on Odell Beckham. If he's that Z running that stop route, it's very difficult to, uh, for that slot defender to cover Evan Ingram running that seam fade. And, you know, when you watch the Shermer tape, <laughs> you see smash routes all the time run on the backside. Uh, so it's something that's not even, although it's not going to show up as it definitely showed up in the stats in terms of completions, but for the incompletions, you're just always seeing smash routes. And it's something that the Eagles did a lot of in the last two years. Uh, you know, you're seeing from both the tight end as well as the slot receiver running those routes. So for me, having a guy like Evan Ingram that you can kind of move around in a different chess piece, as long as he doesn't have to beat that press corner, he's going to be very dangerous in Shermer's, uh, in Shermer's system. And I absolutely love it, Nick. We're talking about a route concept that will give the defense a choice to pick their poison, defend Odo Beckham on the quick stop route, or put some extra attention on him. And then you have Evan Ingram running down the seam, or a little bit, I guess it's more of an outside out route, uh, deep out route. Is it, what would you consider more of a deep out route? What, what kind of route? A deep fade. Yeah, yeah, a deep fade. Okay, you did break that down. I'm sorry. Well, oh. I got lost in that with a second, but. Either way, the point is this. Giants fans, we need this offense, any NFL offense that wants to function at a high level, needs to take more vertical shots. So, you know, when Nick tells us that uh, when he's watching Pat Schirmer's game tape and he sees a lot of vertical attempts, even if they don't all fall complete uh, from Case Keenum to his various wide receivers or to Kyle Rudolph on that smash route, it's just good that they're taking that shot. Um and I think that's something that fans are going to really like to see with it from a guy that, you know, if you put on his own mistake with a guy I love, that quarterback, Chad Kelly, guy who I wish <laughs> the Giants had taken a, a chance on. You see a guy who, as Nick described it, he's not just take, talking out of his ass. This guy really was a hell of a vertical uh, vertical receiver as a tight end, you know, in that Ole Miss offense. So that's something very exciting to think about going forward for this Giants offense under Shermer. And on that note, we are going to wrap up the show. On this note, I wanted to say, if you liked what you heard today, please stick with us. We have big plans for the rest of this offseason, for the season, ideas that we're tossing around, like breaking down the game tape from a week from a spotlight on one player to different concepts on offense. We've got a lot 
coming and it's not just going to be film work because again that's Nick's specialty I kind of fill in the blanks uh, besides that but again thank you all for tuning into the first show and we're going to do a quick wrap up of where you can find our work so I'll start you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL that's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I E-R. Sorry, sorry. I, I got a little bit of a, a, a mental <laughs> break there. It's been a long like day. <laughs> um, NFL is at the end of that. You guys probably hopefully already know me, or hopefully this is where you're finding the podcast in general. You can also find my work on Giants of 24-7 Sports. We've got a Facebook page you can search for, Giants of 24-7 Sports. We post all the links there. Or you can just go to the homepage where you'll see all of our content there. Um, also on CBSSports.com, a lot of the work goes up there. Um, and Nick, why don't you tell us where we can find you on Twitter and then where we can find all of your work. Right on. Yeah, no, my uh, Twitter handle at tmanic21. Make sure you spell your name right. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you got to make sure. I'm Nick Turchin, T-U-R-C-H-Y-N. There you go. Boom, I beat Dan. Score Nick 1, Dan 0. Uh, like I said, my Twitter handle at tmanic21, T-M-A-N-I-C, 21. Uh, I write for insidethepylon.com as well as my own website, Turch Tidbits where I kind of write and create content on both YouTube uh, as well as, as the written word. Uh, yeah, churchtipbits.com. That's really kind of it. I keep it uh, short and sweet. Awesome, Nick. Awesome. All right, guys and girls, thank you again for tuning in to Big Blue Banter. This is episode one of Many to Come. Thanks again, and have a great day. And as I always like to end these things, go Giants. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.